All right, let's go ahead and get started this morning. Let me, let me open us in prayer as we get started. Father, we thank you for the Lord's Day. We thank you for the opportunity to rest and to worship and to, um, um, to be formed again into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that by your Spirit you would dwell with us even now as we prepare for worship by talking together um, about some of the core emphases and values of our church and the, the life that we're seeking to live with one another. We pray you be with us in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so you should have received a handout, um, and there are some in the back if you did not get one. Um, we are this fall going through a core values course on um, just where I'm trying to articulate and talk about a vision for our church and the things that I think are most important for our life together here at Colleyville Presbyterian. Um, we've talked about things like union with Christ, um, that being our fundamental core value as a church, that we want to be a place where men and women and children are drawn into a vital, organic, um, spirit-wrought union with the person of Jesus Christ. And that's because we believe that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. And as we're united to Him, we're actually brought into the life of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is actually the purpose for which God made us um, and the purpose for which Jesus established the church, um, to be a channel, to be a place um, where... Um, we dwell with God Himself. And so we want that to be at the core of who we are as a church beyond before um, all other things. We then talked about means of grace and how the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament are the divinely ordained channels by which we commune with Jesus in this life. Um, he speaks to us in His word as we hear it preached, as we read it, as we study it together. Um, he communes with us um, as He gives Himself and His body and His blood in the Lord's Supper and in baptism as He um, gives us Himself, um, as we are in uh, the sign and seal of our engrafting into Him. And also we, we commune with Christ um, in prayer, that prayer is actually a means of grace for us as well. Um, as we speak to God, we learn to take the words that God has given us on our lips and speak them back to Him. Uh, we talked also about the centrality of the Lord's Day, about how the Lord's Day is actually the place and time where the means of grace, where we commune with Christ, are most um, centrally offered to us and how we want the Lord's Day to be at the center of the life of our people, um, that we really think that the fourth commandment matters and not in a legalistic way, um, but in a way that says this is how God has ordained um, things to go. This is the day that the Lord Jesus himself has sanctified and set apart by his resurrection, the day in which he appeared to his people on the first day of the resurrection and has appeared every Lord's Day since to offer himself in a public and, and deep way and word, sacrament, and prayer to his people as they gather before him. And we want that to be central for our church. Lord's Day worship is central for us. And we talked about our structure of our liturgy, um, how our liturgy is um, a covenant renewal, um, but it is not primarily our renewal of our covenant with God, but God's renewal of his covenant with us in Jesus Christ. And as such, um, the liturgy is the place where God speaks to us and we respond to him as the bride of Christ um, so we have, our whole liturgy has this kind of call and response format to it as we walk through um, a, a pattern of confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness, of hearing God's word and saying thanks be to God in response, um, of receiving the preached word of God and responding by singing a hymn and praying together, and then receiving the Lord's Supper and going out with the blessing of God. That This is an ordered service um, that we believe fits what the Bible teaches in terms of um, the way in which God renews His covenant with us week by week. And it's a worship service for all. It's not only for um, those who, who can perfectly manage their bodies um, or who um, are sufficiently intellectual, um, but it's also for children. It's also for people who are learning to worship together. 
Um, we want our church to be a place where, where, where there's truly worship offered for all, that the means of grace are offered for all who come. And um, we talked several weeks ago about the reality that we are a Christian church first and foremost, um, and that, that that is, you know, the Nicene Creed is what forms our identity as a church most fundamentally. But we're also a Reformed church, and we're, we're happy to be a Reformed church and thankful for the Reformation tradition. Um, though we would say that Reformation tradition is far broader than just simply um, the quote-unquote five points of Calvinism, but it has to do with all of life um, and, and seeking to put it under the domain and the authority of the scriptures as they speak to us. And then finally, last week we talked about um, one, another core value of our church is that we want to be a place where, um, where men and women and children are receiving intentional soul care. Uh, so care for their souls is happening in an intentional way. And this happens in the context of our body as we seek to know one another and to be open with each other. And this happens um, through your pastors who are here to care for you spiritually and meet with you and pray with you. Um, and this happens even in the oversight of the session, the governance of the session of the whole church, as the session is charged with what we call church discipline, which has many forms, um, including just simply the preaching of the word, especially those kinds of things, but can include also um, discipline for those who are unrepentant or fall away um, for Christ, from Christ. And that this is actually an encouragement, that we have, this is a place where we want to be intentional about the souls under our care and that you will receive that kind of care if you're here with us. Um, so those are some of the core values we've talked about so far. Before I jump into new stuff this morning, are there any questions about any of the things that we've discussed the last six weeks or so? Anything at all? All right, very good. Let's, let's begin today then to talk about, I want to introduce two new core values um, for our church. Um, and then we'll meet again next Sunday and I'll talk about a final value um, and then that'll conclude our class together. But I want to talk about two, two values this morning. Most of what we talked about have been fairly sort of internal values, like values that have to do with how we live as a church together with one another, what we do on Sunday mornings, um, what we do in relationship to one another. And today I want to talk some about the quote-unquote mission of our church. What are we wanting to do in terms of the mission of our congregation, um, that kind of thing. And the two words that I've chosen to sort of talk about Mission, mission's a big word, right? It's a buzzword in many ways today. Um, the two words that I want to use to talk about mission as a church, um, the mission that I'm hoping is being formed in you um, as a congregation member, are, are first, vocation, and second, hospitality. So vocation and hospitality, I think those are two really helpful concepts and, and words that give us a lens through which to think about the mission of the church, the mission of Christian men and women and children in their lives, um, even outside of the walls of this sanctuary on Sunday mornings. So I want to talk a little bit first, read some passages from the New Testament where, where um, Paul and, and, and James and John and Peter um, uh, talk, some of these apostles talk about their vision of the Christian life and what it looks like. Because I think it's really helpful for us to meditate on this. What does the New Testament really say about what should the life of a quote-unquote normal believer be? You know, remember that when Paul, um, he's writing Romans, he's, he, is, he is asking the Romans to support him to go to Spain so that he can continue to proclaim the gospel. But he's not really saying that any of them have to go to Spain with them, with him, right? He sees that as his particular calling as the apostle to the Gentiles to go to Spain. Um, but his assumption is that, that the Roman Christians are going to remain where they are and live Christian lives. Um, in that place. So what does that Christian life look like? I want to just read some of these passages, and they're printed for you in your handout if you'd like to read along. 
Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, this is where Paul talks about the Christian life. He says, we urge you, brothers, to do this, that is to love one another, as we've just been talking about, more and more, love one another more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. I think that's a fascinating verse. Like Paul is like, this is his exhortation, right, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus um, to this new church in Thessalonica. Live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands. Walk properly before outsiders. Be dependent upon no one. I think that's a fascinating vision of the Christian life, and it's very different, I think, than often the way the Christian life is portrayed. The Christian life is often portrayed as this, you go out and you do extraordinary deeds for Jesus, right? Um, but I think the New Testament envisions the Christian life as something fundamentally different. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks here to the church in Corinth. He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Lead the life that God has assigned to you, the life to which God has called you. And he goes on to apply this in various ways. He says, so if you're already circumcised, don't worry about it. If you're not circumcised, don't get circumcised. Um, if you are a bondservant, don't worry about trying to not be a bondservant. I mean, if you have a chance to get free and to buy your freedom, you should do that. But it's really not that big of a deal. If you are free, then that's fine. But remember, you actually have a master in your Lord Jesus Christ. And he concludes by just saying the same thing again, basically. Let each person live the life to which God has called them. James 5, 7 to 8. James summarizes in many ways the, the message of his book with these words. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the world of the Lord. Be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Patience, for James, is a, is a fundamental value of the Christian life. Just standing still and waiting, right? In the place where the Lord has called you. Living quietly, minding your own affairs, working with your hands. 1 Peter 3, this is um, how Peter envisions evangelism working um, for normal Christians um, in 1 Peter. He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, that is the wicked, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I think it's fascinating. This is the way in which Peter envisions evangelism working for a normal Christian. Do what you're called to do. Be faithful about it. Obey the Lord Jesus Christ. When people notice that your life is different from theirs, and ask you about it, be ready to talk about it. Why are you living the way you are? Why are you obeying the Lord Jesus? Be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you. Now, it's interesting, this verse is often used as a kind of like 
thesis for why we need to go out and, and sort of deconstruct um, secular arguments. And, and certainly, that's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what this verse is saying, really. This verse is saying, do what you do and let people ask you questions, which is a different kind of apologetic, I think, in the world. Um, and I, I think it's just fascinating to think about how um, the New Testament talks about the vocation of the normal Christian life. Second Peter 3, Peter says, since all these things are to be dissolved, he's talking about the judgment of God and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of godliness and holiness? Godliness and holiness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How do you wait for and hasten the coming of the day of God? By living lives of godliness and holiness in the vocation and the calling and the place where God has put you, where he has called you to be. I want to say this, um, the phrase in italics here, this is how I'm trying to summarize what I'm getting at. At Colleyville, our church's primary mission, quote-unquote, is to encourage, equip, and support our members in their daily vocations, primarily by honoring those vocations as blessed by Christ and providing the means of grace necessary to sustain our members in them. Here's what I want to say, basically. Um, when it comes to the mission of our church, you are the mission of our church and the place where God has called you. All of you, I believe, have vocations, have callings that are blessed by Christ. Um, that vocation may be um, uh, the workplace, right? Maybe you're called to work in an office. Maybe you're called to be a school teacher. Maybe you're called to be a business person. Um, maybe you're called, um, you know, in, in some external way to work outside the home, the medical profession, whatever it might be. Um, that may be one aspect of your vocation, right? Some of you, your vocation is to care for children, um, either to intentionally to homeschool them or perhaps just to raise them up as they're growing, um, to support them in their studies if they're going to school outside the home, right? That's a fundamental vocation and calling. Um, some of you call the vocation of marriage, right, as a husband or a wife. Um, some of you are called to the vocation of a student, right? Some of you are still in school, and your primary vocation is to study, is to learn, is to increase in wisdom and stature right? Um, all of us, um, you know, some of us are called um, to a life where we're called to be widows at this time. And that means that um, we have particular opportunity to pray and to serve and to care for others um, because of the, the freedom which that vocation gives us. Um, there, there is, there, all of us, every single one of us has vocation, has a vocation in our life. Um, and, and probably we can talk about that as multiple vocations, multiple callings, but what I want you to see as your pastor is that you don't, like, we're not going to give you six extra things to be doing the mission of the church that I'm going to invent and come up with and convince you are really important. What I'm rather going to say is the Lord has already given you your quote-unquote mission, the way in which he's calling you to serve him, and it's important. It's vital. It matters. And if you want to talk about what that might look like, if you're confused about your vocation, if you're not sure what it, like, let's talk about that. I'd love to talk with you about that. But I don't see my job as the pastor to sort of invent everyone's mission um, that we all need to go on together. I think rather the Spirit, because He works in diverse ways and gives us different kinds of gifts and situations, 
has already given you that fundamental mission. And that fundamental mission is to do the things that we hear the apostles talking about here in the, in the New Testament as they write to normal Christians like you. To live quietly, to work with your hands, to lead the life God has assigned you, to be patient, to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you when others ask about it, to live lives of godliness and holiness, waiting for and even hastening the coming of the day of God through that faithful service and that vocation that God has given you. I want to read a quote from Herman Bavink, and we'll talk about this for a second. Um, In his essay on common grace, he says this, If then we stand in this grace, this common grace given to us by God, in this freedom with which Christ has made us free, we are to show our Christian faith, first of all, in the faithful performance of our earthly calling. We show our Christian faith, first of all, in the faithful performance of our earthly calling. Rome sees the highest Christian ideal fully realized only in the monk, who has left his natural calling to devote himself totally to spiritual things. This conception of the Christian life has also made deep inroads in our own Protestant circles, and Bavinck is writing in the late 19th century. This conception of the Christian life has also made deep inroads in our own Protestant circles. The ordinary man who honorably fulfills his daily calling before God hardly seems to count anymore. He does nothing, or so it is thought, for the kingdom of God. Right? The ordinary man, the normal person, the normal Christian. What does he do for the kingdom of God? A student who studies hard and spends his time in a Christian manner may be good, but a person who dedicates a great part of his time to evangelism is better and more worthy. In the view of many today, to be a real Christian requires something extra, something out of the ordinary, some supernatural deed. But the Apostle Paul was of another mind when he admonished everyone to remain in the vocation to which he had been called. What we need in these momentous times is not in the first place something extraordinary, but the faithful fulfilling of the various earthly vocations to which the Lord calls his people. What we need is the faithful fulfilling of the various earthly vocations to which the Lord calls his people. What is needed is the practice of Christian virtues, which are the cement of society, household sense, moderation, frugality, diligence, troth-keeping, that's like oath-keeping, honesty, orderliness, benevolence, and the like. So what do you all think about this? What do you think about this idea that this is the mission of our church in a most fundamental way, is simply for you all to be faithful in the vocations that God has given you? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Right, they stay in their small circles and they don't step out. They aren't willing to enter science. They aren't willing to enter education. They aren't willing to enter these things. And they get overtaken by people who believe very extreme opposites. And then it becomes detrimental to the whole society. So I think we, I agree with that. Yeah. <clears throat> That's great, Kendra. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we are, I think there are diverse callings. And like, I know you're called right now to be a school teacher in the public school system. And we're so grateful for that. We're grateful for you to be working out what it means to be a Christian in that context. 
I think that's super important. And I, yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we're talking about. But there, you know, there are various callings. Not everyone is called to be a public school teacher. There are other ways to serve the Lord. And that, I think that's, that's where we think about what does it mean to be um, the body of Christ and to have different gifts and different callings. And that's, that's so fundamental. Absolutely. Yeah, other, other thoughts about this idea of vocation? Yeah, Jamie. It, that's exactly right. It, in today's world, Jamie said, that doesn't sound very exciting or showy. And, and I think that's fascinating. I think, I think that's, I don't know, and obviously I'm not a layperson, so I don't really know, um, you know, how, how much this, this attitude of, you know, the real Christians are the pastors or the missionaries or whatever, how much that sort of frames people's thinking. But it is interesting how, I mean, certainly I'm part of our broader culture, which um, perhaps has always done this, but it feels like it's more evident now. Like there's such an obsession with celebrity and like with, with being famous or, you know, getting your 15 minutes or doing something of quote unquote consequence. Um, um, however, that's defined usually by a lot of people knowing about it. Um, and so I do think that especially like, as we think about that celebrity culture, I think churches can be attracted to that and drawn to that, right? We want to, we want to vindicate our, our existence by doing something visible and important that people will notice and praise. And, and I think you're right. I think this is hard. What I'm talking about is a harder way because it's not, it doesn't have that gratification. Basically, I'm telling you tomorrow morning you should get up and do whatever work the Lord has called you to do and to see that as important, even if no one really notices, which most people won't, candidly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another way you see this working out, right? A lack of trust in the, in the means of grace that God has given us and wanting to adorn those things or make them more impressive somehow. Absolutely. Yeah, Kim and Todd. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's right. And that's, that's a great way to think about this, right? Like, think about your grandparents or your great-grandparents. Like, who really today even knows that they existed? You know, like, there's not a lot of people, probably. But the places, if they were faithful, the places where they laid down roots and invested their life, their children know that they existed and their grandchildren, right, and their great-grandchildren, like that, there is something that you do with your life. But it's probably going to be largely hidden. It's probably going to be largely um, quiet. And I, I think that's, that's a fascinating thing. And it's a means, as Jamie was saying, it's a means by which we trust God, that even our hidden <laughs> efforts even if we never, you know, get our name in the big screen or whatever, still matter. Matter to God that he gathers them up, that nothing is lost, um, and he will use it in the building of his kingdom. It's, a, it's an act of faith to live this way. 
And listen, I'm not saying that Christians should never get noisy and loud and we shouldn't, you know, protest things or we shouldn't, you know, Christians are called to public office, Christians are called to public roles, um, and that's fine, that's great. But most of us probably aren't, right? Most of us are probably not called to be on CNN or whatever. Um, most of us are just called to follow Jesus in whatever place the Lord has put us. Yeah, Todd. I think in addition <clears throat> Right. Divide in our minds that you know we used to get this all the time when we were doing church planting. People would come up to us and say, "Hey, you're really doing the work of God." Right. Rather than seeing everything as sacred, sacred, every like changing diapers is this sacred thing that God puts on your plate to do, and it's not you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, it moves the kingdom forward. That's right. In its own way. That's right. Yeah, this is one of the primary um, uh, understandings of the Reformation, I think, was the restoration of true vocation to the common Christian, right? That you didn't have to be, as Bob Inc. alludes to, you didn't have to be a monk or a nun or a priest or whatever to please God. <clears throat> you could please God fully in your vocation. I don't know if it's an apocryphal Luther quote or a real quote, but either way I'll attribute it to him. Um, the, the idea that the way to be a Christian shoemaker is not to, you know, put a whole bunch of crosses on the shoes as you make them, but to make good shoes, right, that people will wear for a long time. Like, that's actually what it means to be a Christian shoemaker. Um, and I think, I think that's, like, that was a, yeah, that's such an important, and, and I do, I don't, again, I, I think that, I think in some ways we're in a better place with this sacred secular thing than we were maybe 50 years ago. But I, yeah, certainly it's still a thing that exists, um, and and you all need to know that. Like, like yes, we want to we want, do we do want to say that a pastor, ordained pastor, has a different calling um, than a lay person, right? That that I do. There are all things that I'm called to that you're not called to, and um, but we also want to say that doesn't make me more pleasing to God. Um, in some inherent way, right? Or Patrick, more pleasing to God. Um, there, there are distinctions between lay people and clergy, um, but that we want to honor and maintain. But we also want to say, yeah, everything is sacred, like you said, Todd. Different ways. different ways, yeah. We honor God in different ways. Yeah, Gabe. <clears throat> Yes. But, but if you're if you're passively evangelizing your vocation, I think that's that, that's you know maybe that's like the initial passage for a lot of folks, more, maybe more than you need. Absolutely. Yeah, many of you are called to secular vocations, right? Quote unquote, where by which I just mean you're working in a place at an institution that's not explicitly Christian. Um, yeah, and in that place, you're you are doing evangelism all the time, basically, um, by the way that you conduct your life. And, and I think the, the goal for that is for people to notice and see that you live differently, that you have peace and joy and the, the faith and the fruits of the Spirit, and to be attracted to that and want to understand why that is. And yeah, I think in the long term, that's a much more effective means of evangelism. That's actually how most people come to saving faith and to mature Christian life. 
um, rather than you know preachers on the radio or whatever um, or TV, I guess. Um, absolutely, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, Eric, and then we'll move on to hospitality. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah, and I think that is certainly part of the mission of our church. Um, and we, that's part of the reason we have deacons, is to help us, um, lead us in that area, um, to lead us in caring for the needy. And that's certainly an aspect of what we want to be as a church. But I don't think that we ever as a church want to say, this is fundamentally what we're about. We're about ending poverty in Dallas-Fort Worth or something. Um, I, I just don't see that as being consistent with how the New Testament talks about the mission of the church in a fundamental way. Um, yes, certainly all of us, and I, I preached on this several weeks ago, right, um, are called to think about how we steward our finances and our resources and to whom much has been given, much is required, and all of us have been given much, I believe, in this room financially. Um, and we need to be very thoughtful about that. Um, and what do we do for those who are needy? Um, and we should probably give away more than we do, each of us, um, because of that calling that we've been given. Um, but as, I mean, what I'm saying is, as an institutional church, I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and say, you know, our fundamental reason that we exist is to end poverty or whatever the social good might be. Our fundamental reason that we exist is to be a place where people are called into communion with the living God, and then to support those people as they go out and serve God in the vocations that he's given them. Um, which I know is a different way of talking about the work of the church um, from other places. And it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean I don't think poverty is important or other political causes are important. I do think they are. But that I think that we, it's, it's more like, um, you know, just to use a random analogy, leaven um, in a lump of dough, right? Um, than it is us sort of trying to, you know, somehow do it, do something, build the kingdom of God in some massive public way, that we're doing it quietly over time, and that's how the kingdom of God actually comes about. Um, let me talk a little bit about hospitality <clears throat> and the time we have remaining. Um, vocation, I think, is largely uh, and I, part, of the, part of the mission where we're called to... <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> where we're often called to go out and to serve others and to, you know, maybe to, maybe we do, some of us at least, do our vocations outside of our home. Um, hospitality is, I think, largely the place where we're called to invite people in. Um, and that's also part of our mission. Our mission is not only to go out um, to whatever place the Lord has called us to go, whether it's our school or our workplace of work or just our neighborhood, we're also called to invite people into something. Um, <clears throat> hospitality was an important um, part of what the church talked about, the, the apostles talked about as well, when they talked about the Christian life. Let me just read some of these passages. Um, uh, first in Romans 12, 13, um, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Um, Paul is there working out um, you know, what it means to live the Christian life, and he he talks about caring for the needs of others, especially those in the church, and seeking to show hospitality. Romans 15, 7. This is a really important verse for me. 
as a pastor framing what I think is the calling of our church. We use it in every baptism that we do here. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Um, This is the fundamental fundamental reason we show hospitality to others, because God in Christ has shown hospitality to us. We've been welcomed by God, by Christ and God, and so we share that welcome with others. God has become our host, and so we join in with him in the hosting. Um, Hebrews 13.2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Right? That, that hospitality is actually a pretty, it is a holy calling um, to welcome people into your life, into your home, into your church. Um, you never know um, who that person really is or what their needs actually are. Um, even um, some have entertained angels unawares. 1 Peter 4, 9-10, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, which I think this gets on an interesting point, right? Sometimes it's easy to grumble about this idea that we should welcome others um, into our homes or into our lives or into our church, right? They're always in the way, you know, they, they take up space, they change things when we welcome people. Um, but Peter says, do this without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I actually love that quote from Peter because it it shows us that hospitality will be inconvenient, right? If you're looking, if you're waiting for a convenient time to be hospitable in your life, um, you're never going to be hospitable. It will not be inconvenient, right? It will be something that you have to obey God and not grumble in. Otherwise, you have occasion to grumble. Um, because it's hard, because it requires the rearranging of your priorities. It requires doing what Paul talks about in Philippians 2. And humility, this is a hospitality verse, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. When you're a guest, whose interests are you thinking about largely? Your own, right? You go somewhere, and you, if you're the guest, you expect to be taken care of, right? You expect that, that uh, you know, and that's fine. That's, that's what it means to be a guest, right? Um, but when you're a host, whose interests are you concerned about? You say, oh, let me get that drink for you, right? Let me, um, you know, welcome you. Let me, let me um, you know, make sure that you're at ease. Let me initiate conversation with you. If, if, that, if you're a host, that is what you do. You're looking after the interests of the one who is your guest. At Colleyville, we believe that the call to Christian maturity is a call to hospitality. I think that's a formative value for who we want to be as a church. We want to be a church where hospitality is practiced. And that means that Christ calls each of us as church members to move from seeing ourselves as primarily a guest to a host. In some ways, this is the great movement of the Christian life, right? That we're not simply guests, but we're hosts. And when we're hosts, we're looking after the interests of others and considering them more significant than ourselves. We are called each to invite others into the Christian life that we are all living together and to welcome them as they come, to put them at ease, to make it easy for them, right? To serve them. I think this works itself out in different ways. This works itself out, out in literal hospitality in our homes, right? That's often what we think about when we think about hospitality is you inviting someone over to come into your home and to share a meal with you, right? And I think that is fundamentally important. And I would, I, 
think that we need to not overly spiritualize hospitality in some ways. Like, yes, I think the Christian life calls you to have people in your homes and to serve them and to eat with them. It's hard to not see that as part of the Christian life, a fundamental part. That is what God is always doing with his people, right? You could, you could tell the story of the scriptures as the story of God inviting his people to eat with him and serving them over and over and over and over again. And so if we are going to welcome others with the welcome we've received in Christ, it requires, I think, breaking bread with one another. It is, you know, it's why the Lord's Supper is bread and wine, right? It's a meal. It's Eucharistic when we invite others into our homes and we welcome them. But hospitality is not only this kind of literal, you know, hey, you want to come over for lunch after church on Sunday. Um, hospitality as a value for our church, I think, is far broader than that. It means hospitality in our worship and other church activities. I think this is the kind of reframing I want us all to think about. Whose interests are you looking after on Sunday mornings um, when you come to worship? What I would love to see all of us moving towards is not primarily looking after our own interests, but the interests of others, right? This means paying attention and noticing if someone is here that you don't recognize, right? And especially if they're by themselves, like, if you're a guest, you don't care about that. Like, you're worried about who's talking to you, right? Like, maybe I'm alone right now, and no one's really welcoming me. And that's fine if you're a guest. That's an okay attitude to have. But if you're a host here on Sunday mornings, as I think the Lord is calling you to move into, then you will have a different kind of mindset, right? You will say, well, who needs help? Who needs assistance? Maybe there's, you know, a mom here who's, whose husband's out of town. Maybe she needs help. It, whatever it might be, there's a new person, whatever it might be, right? That we're looking for the needs of others above the interests of our own, right? If, if there's a piece of trash in the foyer, oh, well, this is my home and I'm a host here. Um, I should pick that up, right? That's not someone else's job, right? That's, oh, that, I'm, I belong here. I think, I think this it just affects everything about what we do on Sunday mornings if we take this seriously, I think, if we see ourselves as hosts rather than guests. And I think that's really what I want us to move towards, that, that you know, that's certainly the, the attitude that I try to embody as your pastor, um, that I'm hosting those who come and serving them and putting their interests above my own. But I want that to be all of our attitude together. And I, I mean, I wrote a letter about this recently. I thought the fall festival we did two weeks ago um, was a beautiful picture of this, where we as a church really got to host hundreds and hundreds of strangers who showed up, who were hungry, who wanted to have fun with their kids. It was a beautiful evening, and we cared for them, right? We welcomed their children. We made them safe, right? We, we gave them candy. We made lots of awesome chili and put it in bowls for them to eat, you know? And we didn't charge a thing, and nobody handed out any, like, you know, we didn't try to entrap them in evangelism in some weird way, right? We just wanted to love them and care for them. And that, like, that's a beautiful picture of what I think, and, and VBS is the same kind of thing, right? VBS increasingly is becoming this opportunity for us to show hospitality to our neighbors and our community. And there's so many things that we do as a church. And I think Sunday morning, we need to think about Sunday morning and other activities as, as opportunities for us to be hosts and not simply guests um, as well. And this also changes your aspect to church life, right, and sort of worship attendance, because, you know, what's the fundamental thing you expect for a host to do if they invite you over? Show up, right? They're going to be there when you knock on the door. And I think that you need to, like, that's an important part of what it means to be a host, is that there are going to be people here in, you know, 15 minutes who will be 
guests. And if we're not here as hosts, there'll be no one to welcome them. And I think that's a really important thing to think about even as you think about your priorities and your, the way you approach the Lord's Day, that you're called not just to be a guest at this congregation, but to be making this movement towards being a host. And the fundamental question is, what is the gift that you've been given that you can welcome others into the life of Christ that you have received, right? What has what the Lord entrusted you to? What, what has he given you? How can you welcome others into your literal homes, into your lives? Maybe it's just by friendship. Maybe it's just by pursuing someone, asking them to go for coffee. Um, but I, I think the idea here is, is to not just see myself as I'm someone who needs to be served, but I'm someone who's been called in Christ because of his service to me to welcome and serve others. And I think, that's, I think that is, in many ways, the movement of the Christian life, right? To move from being a guest to joining in with God and being a host. And I think this would change if we embrace this fully, our attitudes towards our neighbors, like even the literal neighbors who live next to us on our street, um, our fellow church members, um, those who are new in our body, um, all, all the people we come in contact with as we think about ourselves as those who have been entrusted with something good that God has actually welcomed us and now we are called to welcome others. All right, any questions about hospitality before we wrap up here in just a couple minutes? Yeah, Kim. <clears throat> yeah, how would you distinguish those things? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a great distinction, and especially when it, we are doing literal hospitality in our homes, having people over, right, that we're, hospitality is different from entertaining. That's the point that Kim's making, that hospitality towards others doesn't mean being super impressive in terms of your home or the meal or the wine or whatever it is, but it's just welcoming people, putting them at ease, and that can be done in a number of different ways. Yeah, it's, it's yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. It is. It's very memorable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, often people tell me who stick around with our church that the reason they, they stayed was because they'd been welcomed, because they'd felt welcomed. I think that it's, I think it's been a core value of our church ever all my tenure here and before that as well. And I, it's something that I think, but it requires... In order for that to continue to be a value of our church, it requires those, right, for all of us to be moving from guest to host, right? Guest to host. Uh, and, I, and I think that's just so important for us as a congregation. Any other thoughts or questions before we wrap up? All right, let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you for our vocations, that in Christ um, we can honor and serve you fully um, by doing the things you've called us to do. 
um, even simple, quiet, hidden things, Father, our lives become still a living sacrifice offered to you that is well-pleasing and acceptable to you. What a beautiful thing that is, Father. Help us to have the faith to trust that to be true. And Father, help us also to, to give thanks for the ways that you have welcomed us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, and what it means for us now to be empowered by your Spirit to extend that welcome to others and to host them even um, as guests. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.